Right, if you have your Bible, uh, we are closing out, uh, closing in on the end of 1 Samuel. Um, so, but today we're going to spend some time in 1 Samuel 25. Uh, and so we will, <clears throat> excuse me, we will do that. Uh, just looking at the first two verses this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 25, we're, we're just going to look at the first, uh, uh, yeah, the first, uh, actually the first verse this morning, uh, just one verse. And uh, I know I normally don't do that, but uh, this morning, everything we need is in this one verse uh, to talk about as we talk about the legacy of godliness. And um, so 1 Samuel chapter 25, and one, uh, once more, if you're physically able to do so, let me invite you to stand, if you're physically able to do so, just as we honor God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning in verse 1 and ending in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord that is given to us this morning. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those who have gone before us, who have left for us godly uh, heritages, uh, faithful heritages. And Lord, if we have never had the blessing of coming behind those who, um, who have left godly heritages, then my prayer is that we, as your sons and daughters, would begin now um, as, as your children to um, leave for our families our children, our wives, our husbands, our grandchildren, for future generations, the legacy of godliness in all that we do and say. So, Father, may you be glorified now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It is interesting, as you think about people who have influenced various aspects of life, that one man in particular stands out as having influenced the English language more than anyone else, which may sound very strange to us, I, I know. But there is one man, one man who, has, who, who lives on, even to this day, who has influenced the English language like none other. His works have been translated into 100 languages. And his, uh, he, he has been studied by, by it's been estimated, estimated, probably about half of all worldwide school-age children. It's an amazing, uh, an amazing influence that one man can have. Uh, who is this one man? Uh, this one man is none other than the great writer William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare did not set out to change the English language. William Shakespeare did not set out to, uh, to, to try to have a great impact on the English language per se. And yet, because of his influence... Um, none other, no one else has had the impact on a particular language quite like William Shakespeare has had on the English language. It's an amazing thought that one man, one sole person, can have such an influence over such a, such a thing as a language. But yet it's true. It's true. And we're going to look at such a man this morning. Uh, we're going to look at such a man as we, as we think about and as we look at a man who was uh, perhaps outside of the, the, uh, the prophet Moses, uh, one of uh, the, uh, the greatest prophets, the greatest leaders that Israel would ever know. His name was Samuel, and everything that we need to know about Samuel, the prophet, the priest, uh, was, uh, is found in verse, chapter 25 and verse 1. 
when it says, and Samuel died. That sounds very strange to us, perhaps, that all it says is, and Samuel died. This great man of God, this man of, who was a very godly man, is given an epitaph of simply, and Samuel died. But that isn't where the story ends, is it? And it says, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. That is the rest of the, of the, um, the eulogy of Samuel and his legacy that he left behind him, a legacy of great godliness, a man who lived uh, a long life uh, and trust, tr- uh, tr- a trustworthy man. And, and believer, this morning what I want to do is I want to encourage us that you and I would see nothing greater in this world than the pursuit of glorifying God and leaving behind us a legacy of godliness, a legacy of a lasting legacy, because let's, let's face it, when everything is said and done, everything goes back in the box. Everything goes into the box. Uh, what uh, All of our worldly possessions, everything will decay. Uh, you can leave behind you millions or perhaps billions or trillions of dollars, right? And yet, I promise you, they, that money will eventually all be spent. The house that you so cherish now will one day decay and no longer be the prized possession of anyone. Um, <clears throat> and the, the loved ones that we leave behind us, they too will decay and die. I know it's such a cheery thought, and yet it is the fact of that through it all, there's only one lasting legacy that we can leave, and that is the legacy of, of, of faith in Christ and a godly, of, of being a godly man and a godly woman who loves the Lord. And so what I want to do is I want to show you, or at least expose you to, uh, I think, three legacies that Samuel left behind him. And uh, I, I would pray that would be our pursuit and our legacies as well. Uh, and so uh, I could have, could have gone a lot more. To the, there, were, there were probably at least six I could have done, but I, I narrowed them down to the, to the three here. So let me show you this. Legacy number one, first legacy. The first legacy of Samuel uh, and the first legacy of a, of a man or woman who's going to leave a godly heritage is simply that they value their relationship with God and His Word. They value their relationship with God and His Word. It's interesting, as we look over Samuel's life, Samuel knew and walked with God from a very early age. Samuel knew and walked from God from a very early age, which really shouldn't surprise us since Hannah, his, his mother, uh, had dedicated him to the Lord before he was even born. She said, Lord, if you will give me a, 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 a man child, a baby boy, I will dedicate him to the Lord and he will serve you all of his life. And he was called um, from a very early age of a child to serve the Lord. The Lord himself was not only dedicated by Hannah, but was also blessed by God by being called into his service. Uh, to replace the wayward Eli and his wicked children, his wicked sons, who were serving him. But ultimately, throughout Samuel's life, there is one thing that, that really designates Samuel and his relationship with God. It is that he had a very closeness, a very real closeness with the Lord uh, he had a very real closeness with the Lord. As a matter of fact, in uh, uh, God, in rebuking, we'll talk more about this in a little while, but in Jeremiah, uh, God even says, if Samuel the prophet and Moses were standing before me to intercede, I wouldn't even listen to them because of your sins. 
And so we know that the Lord himself talks about the closeness that Samuel had with him. And this was something that happened all the days of Samuel's life. Samuel was a man of God. Samuel loved the Lord. Samuel sought to honor the Lord in everything that he did. And I would say this to us, brothers and sisters, if we value the Lord our God, if we value his word, if we put those things into action that we say we believe, God will be glorified and the legacy we leave behind us will long and far outlive us. And so... Samuel modeled this following God in faithful obedience throughout his life. Was, was Samuel perfect? No, not, not at all. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But, but Samuel modeled what it looked like to be faithful to the Lord. Modeled faithfulness to the children of Israel. Modeled faithfulness to the priests. Modeled faithfulness to the prophets. Modeled faithfulness to his own children, who unfortunately, his own sons, who unfortunately did not follow in his faithful steps. But, but like Eli's sons, uh, but perhaps not as wickedly as Eli's sons, still sought after uh, and, and, and uh, sought after gain and, and ungodliness. But Samuel sought to be a man of God and a man of faith all the days of his life. So much so that there toward the very, at the very end of his ministry, he asks the question, who have I defrauded? I will repay him. To which point everybody says that's gathered before, the, before him at, uh, at, uh, as he's uh, giving this, uh, this final uh, testimony of his life. They say, you, you haven't done anything wrong. You, you've, there's nothing blameworthy about you, Samuel. And Samuel was faithful in his relationship to God because he knew and he walked with God from a very early age. I hear people talk about the worst of the worst uh, of testimonies as if partying and being bad and and doing all these things uh, somehow better credits me with having a better testimony. But you know, there is a great testimony in the fact that we were called to know Christ from an early age and we walked with Christ and we lived faithfully for Christ throughout our lives. There's a great testimony in that of God's faithfulness, of God's honoring himself through, through, such, a, through such a testimony. So my point is simply that God, God allows for both testimonies to, to both, uh, both the good and the bad so that we can testify of God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's glory and God's mercy and God's, God's ongoing faithfulness to his children, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what's going on in their lives. Samuel not only knew God, not, Samuel not only trusted God, but he also knew his word. And so he was a prophet of God who spoke and preached to the children of Israel faithfully. God even says in 1 Samuel 3.20 that Samuel was confirmed by God to be a priest, or, or excuse me, a prophet of God. Samuel is listed in Hebrews eleven thirty two through thirty four as one of the greatest, uh, the greatest one of the great hall of faithful. Um, he's listed among the great hall of the faithful there in Hebrews eleven, and so much so that he 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 loved God and His Word. In First Samuel three nineteen, it says of him that he did not allow any of God's words to fall to the ground. In other words, he carefully kept the word of God and spoke it faithfully and truthfully to the people of Israel. He told them the good as well as the bad. He rebuked, he loved, he encouraged, he did everything in his power to honor God by encouraging God's people, by telling them the word, by giving them the word of God. But he was a man who in this pursuit 
was a humble man. And, and just like you and I are called to humility in the walking of this life and in the living in this life, it, it's, it's funny because, because Samuel was birthed in faith and humility. His name literally means, there's two, there's two meanings to his name. Uh, the, one, one, the one meaning of his name means uh, God has heard. The other means simply the name of God. And Hannah herself gives testimony to what type of man Samuel would be. Because it says that his name was a constant reminder to the power of God and the answering of God's faithfulness to answer his people's prayers. Christian, let me ask you, are you modeling what it means to pray? And I know we're not perfect. I get it. But are we modeling what it looks like to walk in faithfulness and in prayerfulness before our God? To our children and our grandchildren, to our friends and our family members, are we doing this for the glory of God in all things? Are we going to be perfect? No. Are we going to lose our temper? Yes. Are we going to always do exactly the way we should do? No. But that doesn't alleviate the reality and the responsibility for you and I to be faithful, to show what it looks like to live faithful lives, to be a servant, to exalt God and not ourselves, to exalt Christ and no one else. Because it's easy when, 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 when it's all about me to say, oh, yes, it's all about Jesus. But then when all of a sudden I don't get my way, listen, if you want to know the measure of a person, talk to them when they don't get their way. I'm serious. You want to know the measure of a person, talk to them when they don't get their way. If you really want to know who they are, you watch them and you listen to them when they don't get their way. That is who they truly are. That is what they're truly about. But Samuel, even in the moments when he did not get his way, Samuel was a man of God. He was a man of faithfulness. He was a man who loved the Lord. Did this, come, did this come out of the blue like God just sort of zapped him with it? No, no, no. This came over years and years and years of living life, of God allowing different experiences to be experienced by him. And the same is true for us. When, when, we, when, we, when we live life for the glory of God and we choose to exalt Christ, God teaches us. Um, I will tell you, yesterday was a, was a, um, a, a great um, day of sanctification for me because I had to put together a basketball hoop. And that was a great day of sanctification for me. I had to learn that instructions, those instructions were stupid and I had to go to YouTube to actually learn to what to do. And that was not always easy. It was a great day of sanctification. But sanctification comes for each and every one of us in different ways. In different, in different forms, in different shapes as we experience different things in life. Sanctification happens differently for us all. And yet, like Moses, like, those, like, like the great men and women of old, we have to walk, through, walk with, with humility and faithfulness to Christ. Here's a second part of, of the legacy that God has called us to as, as, we live, uh, as we live for the glory of God. And it's simply this, it is simply that there is uh, a faithfulness over a lifetime. A faithfulness over a lifetime. Samuel was a man of God who was faithful over his entire life. Uh, he was a man who was in his 90s by the time he ends up passing away. He would have been probably in his early to mid-90s. He had lived life. He knew, he knew what was going on. Uh, and it's interesting that, 
while many people, many people keep an eye on retirement um, and, and their whole goal is retirement, um, Samuel sought to be continually faithful. Even in the end, even after Israel said, you know, Samuel, we just, we just need a king and we don't really need you. Um, he, didn't, he didn't retire in that sense. He left that post, but he continued to be faithful. And he continued to preach and to teach and to prophesy faithfully until the very end of his life. Because it's interesting that Samuel, while being the last judge, was also the first prophet of the nation of Israel. Uh, now we say, well, now what about, what about Moses? Well, uh, when I say he was the first prophet, he was the first one in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the kingdom uh, of Israel. He was the first prophet. God blessed him with being the first prophet within the kingdom of the, the United Kingdom of Israel. And Samuel, was, he served in the role of a priest. And besides Moses, Samuel was recognized as the first of the great prophets who would prophesy of the coming of Christ. This man of God, this man of faithfulness who lived, who lived many, many years was a man who God blessed greatly. His entire life being given to the service of, to the service of God. Christian, where, where, where is your eye this morning? Where's your eye? Is it upon Christ? Is it upon how you can glorify Christ? Or is it, is it on something else? Is it on, is it on anything else? Or is it on Christ? Is it on, is it on the one who has paid for your soul? Is it, is it upon the one who, saw, who has sought you out and bought you with his own blood? Is it, is, it he who has, is it on he who has reconciled you through faith alone in Christ alone? Is your eye upon Christ or is your eye on and serving God or is your eye on anything and everything else? Because I think if we were all honest, we'd all say, well, you know, sometimes I really try to keep it on Christ. I'm really seeking to honor Christ, but again, sanctification gets in the way. Sanctification at times can be difficult, and I understand that. But understand that, that God has called us to live life with our eyes upon Christ, looking to Christ, keeping our eyes upon him. Samuel, as I said, was not perfect, just like all of us. And sometimes I think we are so guilty. I'm guilty anyways. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but, but maybe you're like me, and, and you have this guilt of uh, uh, this, this guilty uh, thing that you do. Sometimes you look at these people in the Bible, and you're like, man, those are great, great men of God. And they had no faults. They had no failures. And sometimes even when we admit readily that they had faults and failures, we sort of put their faults and failures on a different ca- in a different category than my or our faults and failures. And yet Samuel wasn't a perfect man. His family life wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Samuel's sons did not follow him in honoring the Lord. And yet Samuel had his blind spots because he ended up appointing his sons to succeed him, just like Eli had done. Um, Samuel allowed his affections for his own sons to cloud his own judgment. And aren't we all in danger at times of, of allowing our blind spots in this life to, to threaten to undo us and overwhelm us? Perhaps even to the point of, of, recogn- of refusing to recognize wickedness in our own hearts and refusing to correct wickedness in our own lives. 
or in others' lives because, after all, I mean, it's just easier to get along, to go along, right? It's just easier for me to not have to do that because I value this friendship or I value that friendship or I value this relationship or that relationship. So it's just easier, right? Just sort of let that slide and not really have to deal with that because I want a good relationship with this person or that person, a good friendship with this person or that person, or you don't know how long I've known this person or that person. And if I, if I, if I don't just sort of go along to get along, man, it's going to go really, really bad for me and for everybody else. And honestly, we are all in danger of failing to recognize the sins in our own heart. And I would, I would say, but my prayer is, my hope is not just for me, but I would hope that it would be for you as well, that our prayer would be, Lord, protect us from blind spots that would lead us into sin. Lord, guard my heart and my, my mind from blind spots that would ultimately lead me to sin. Protect me from this, right? Because they don't call them blind spots for nothing, right? Even the, even the, uh, even the best quarterbacks in, the, in football, they get blindsided, right? Uh, we all have blind spots, and these blind spots, if, not caref- if we're not careful to evaluate them, can lead us into sin. Right? It's amazing, though, when we talk about faithfulness, that we, we think of men like Moses and Samuel. We think of, of great men of faith, great women of faith, who lived their lives for the glory of God. And, and they, they honored the Lord with their lives. I want to tell you about a man he lived uh, lived back in the in the, in the uh, was born in 1832, so so you know a couple hundred years ago. But I think this is very important for us. He was born in in England to Christian parents, Methodist parents, parents who attended a Methodist church, faithful believers in the Lord. Um, this baby's name was a man was uh, was James Hudson Taylor. Um, Hudson, uh, James Hudson Taylor um, grew up in a Christian home, but he did not embrace the faith of his parents until he was uh, into his later teenage years. Uh, he, uh, after coming to faith in Christ, felt God's call to go to uh, be a missionary in a place called China. Um, to accomplish this task, though, Hudson Taylor had to learn Mandarin and Chinese. But he went one step further and he, he also um, studied medicine so that he could care for people's physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. So at the age of 21, Hudson Taylor sailed from the shores of England to the shores of China. Not knowing where he was going, not knowing much of anything about what was, what was going to happen. Matter of fact, he disembarked the ship in Shanghai and he had no clue of where he was going to spend the night. And yet he came to China with an unflinching, unswerving realization and belief that God had called him here. He ended up making his way through, uh, through, uh, the, um, through the city where he found a small group of believers who gave him uh, food and shelter for, uh, for some time until he could get onto his feet. But during this time, Ta- uh, Hudson Taylor found that the, the, British, uh, the British missionaries were having little to no impact in mainland China. And he, he came to a startling realization that this that what they were doing was not working because the British spoke strangely, they had strange customs, they wore strange clothes, and they had strange haircuts. Uh, 
And so Hudson Taylor decided to do the very interesting thing where he began to dress like the Chinese people. He wore the, Chinese, the hairstyle of the Chinese men and began to adopt other Chinese customs. And it was not long before the Chinese evangelization society that he was with ended up dis, uh, disbanding due to lack of funds, and Hudson himself began to uh, began his own missionary society soon after becoming ill in 1860 and having to return back to Britain. He ended up recovering. He ended up preaching uh, and reaching out to those who were in Britain who had a passion for to reach those who were in mainland China. And he began translating the Bible into various dialects so that the Chinese people would have the Bible in their own language, in a different dialects. And he eventually returns to mainland China, and he took back with him, on his return, 16 missionaries to China. You say, well, what's any of that matter? Well, let me tell you the, let me tell you the, the rest of the story. In 1905, when Hudson Taylor died... There were 825 missionaries who were serving every province in the nation of China. There were 300 mission stations, 500 local Chinese helpers, and over 25,000 new Chinese Christians. It cost Hudson a lot to share the gospel over a lifetime in China. His first wife died at a very young age while serving in China. His four of his eight children passed away at very young ages from various diseases in China. And Hudson Taylor himself suffered from very bad health and even depression. The gospel had come to China, and the church continued to grow and flourish. Even after the communist takeover in 1949, the church only grew and strengthened so much so that today, even today, the Chinese underground church continues to grow because one single person decided that it was not enough that an entire nation did not know Christ. And his legacy lives on through the mission society that he founded. One person living for the glory of God Refusing to accept the status quo, brothers and sisters, can have great impacts upon the world. Jesus took 12 rag-tag, ungodly, motley crew of people and lost one of them due to being the son of perdition, and yet he ended up founding the, church, founding the movement uh, today that, it, that we call Christianity. The church, the local church, Jesus founded the local church and we have the great impact today uh, because 11 men decided to be faithful to preach the gospel. Does it surprise us? Would it surprise us to know and to think that just one of us surrendered to the full authority of Christ himself, living for the glory of God themselves, could make such a difference in this world for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let me show you a third legacy here. And I guess it really goes along with this part of this legacy, but uh, the, second, the second part of the legacy. But, but he was a man, this, this, this man Samuel was a man who lived in prayer. He lived in prayer. 
Samuel was birthed in prayer. Samuel, uh, Samuel's life was dedicated to prayer, even so much so that he said that it would be a great, uh, it would be a great sin in 1 Samuel 12, 23 for him to not to pray for the nation of Israel. So he lived in prayer. Let me give you just one more here. There's a fourth legacy here. And this is, this is for us. I think, I think for us, really, where we are today. Here's the fourth legacy. He knew how to lose. You say, well, that's a pretty strange thing to say. We knew how to lose. Well, let me tell you something. Not only can you look at a person who doesn't get their way, look at a person when they lose, and you can see their character. You can see what they're really about. Handling losing, handling loss, is just as important as handling winning, right? Handling loss and handling not succeeding at something is just as important as handling how we win. What do you mean by that? Well, Samuel was ultimately rejected, and Israel wanted a king, and they asked him for a king. He didn't want to give them a king, but God said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Give them a king. And so what was Samuel faithful in doing? Despite having lost, the, the, uh, being rejected by God's people, he continued to be faithful despite the rejection that he received. He continued to be faithful by trusting God and his sovereign plan for the world. And through the nation of Israel, he walked in humility, even in, even in light of the loss that he experienced of being rejected by God's people for, the, for a king. And ultimately being rejected by that king who didn't want to listen to his counsel because he had rejected God. And so Samuel faithfully served even despite the humiliation, despite the loss, despite the rejection, despite it all, Samuel was a man who was humbly accepting of God's good and sovereign plan. So where is Jesus in the midst of all of this? Well, let, let me tell you where Jesus is in the midst of all of this. One, Jesus is the greater Samuel who was rejected by his own. But instead of rejecting them, he made a sacrifice for sin for them to reconcile sinners to Christ through faith alone in Christ alone. Second of all, Jesus is the greater Samuel who constantly intercedes for his people at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, thirdly, is the greater Samuel who not only died but who came back to life conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave so that all who put their faith and trust in him will be saved. And lastly, Jesus is the greater Samuel who fulfilled the roles of the final and great high priest, of the final and great high prophet, and the final and great high king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus did not need to anoint another because he was all three. So how does this apply to us? Well, let me, let me just give you a couple points of application here and then we're done. First, what are you valuing in life? What do you value this morning? What are you valuing in life? What are you valuing in life? Where is your heart this morning? Because I could tell you guys that that you could that you could you could be here for a thousand years and your mind is somewhere else. Your mind is a million miles from here. You're not hearing God's word. You're not listening to God's word because your, your mind is a trillion miles from here. Because we're not valuing the word of God. Is there anything better than a life devoted to Christ 
and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is, is there anything better than Christ being glorified? I think second of all, it's good to, to be... So let me say this. Guys, it is good to be remembered well. And I, I, I say guys because I, I think this is more so of men than it is of women. Men, I know that it is... We, we a lot of times, we even, even those of us who say, well, I don't care what they think of me. The reality is, is that there's some part of us that does care and wants to be remembered well by people. We want to be remembered well before men, but how much more is it necessary to be known before God? Our faithfulness cannot be measured by how well we're remembered by people because honestly, we can be falsely slandered. We can be falsely praised. We can be either falsely slandered or falsely praised by men. By people. But to have the praise of God is amazing. To hear the words of Christ, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those are the words that matter. Those is the, that is the legacy that matters. Whether or not we're falsely slandered or falsely praised. And it's amazing, even 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 men of God that have been raised up and praised for, for, for years upon years upon their death, all of a sudden all of this hideous garbage comes spewing out and you're like, well, I never saw that. Men can be falsely praised as well as falsely slandered. But to have the praise of God is, should be and must be our greatest desire. Lastly, let me say this. And this, this, is, this is going to be the most encouraging thing that I can say to you today may not sound that way to you, but it's going to be the most encouraging thing. So I want you to listen to me carefully, okay? You will die. You say, well, that is, that's crazy. What do you mean that is, what do you mean that's, that's not encouraging? Yes, it is. You say, well, how in the world is that encouraging? I am going to die. Death is universal. It kills 100% of the people 100% of the time. No one can stop death apart from Jesus. No one can stop death. We are going to die. So let me tell you why that's encouraging. And this may sound morbid to you, but every day I wake up, And every day I say to myself, Tim, you are going to die. You will die, Tim. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe maybe in 10 years or 15 or 20 or 30, but you are going to die. And I live with that realization because while I live in this day, I need to be reminded that I'm going to die and what I do today matters. What I do today matters because I am going to die. And when everything else can be said about me, what I want to be said most about me is that I left a godly heritage for my sons. I want my sons to know the Lord. I want my sons to follow Christ. I want my sons to make much of Christ. I want, I want, I want my daughter to make much of Christ. I want her to know Christ. I want her to see that her daddy, while not perfect, was a man who loved Jesus Christ and served him faithfully. Nothing better could be said of me 
by my children than he loved us and he served God. That is a lasting legacy. And living with the reality that we are going to die not only prepares my heart to meet God and to make sure that I am repentant and I am following Christ, but I am also living in this day for the glory of God. So please remember, today matters because you are going to die. Live for the glory of God. There will be a day in which the epitaph will be read for you and blank died. Live for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. As David said, and we, we also intercede that um, you would, as David asked, to teach us to number our days. Uh, not in a morbid sense, but in, the, but in a re, uh, just a realization sense. That we're going to die. One day it's going to be said of us, and Tim died, or and so and so died, Lord. And you know those days. And so let us always remember that this day matters. How I live my life in this day, how I love my family, how I, how, I, how I honor my neighbor, how I love my neighbor, how I worship you, all of this matters, Father. And so, Lord, help me to live in light of this reality in my life, in all of our lives. And let us leave behind us a legacy of faith and faithfulness, and godliness, and holiness, and righteousness, and the gospel of Jesus Christ for future generations. Cause us, Father, to to live with you at the forefront of our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.